Welcome to the Unbelievers Podcast, uh, Buffalo Wins Podcast focused on basically anything we want to talk about. And this week, I'm here with one of our writers, Mike McKenzie, and we're going to be talking about college football. Mike, how are you doing on this fine Wednesday evening? What's going yeah, on? I can't I'm hear you. Losing it, dude. Yeah, that's really weird. I can't. I'm not hearing you either. It cut out and then you cut back in. <sighs> yeah. Skype. Okay. That's. <laughs> now it sounds like it's working perfectly. This is the bane of my existence. Anywho, we'll try to go through it and I'll try to edit as much as I can and see if it works. Um, <laughs> so, halfway point. What are your thoughts on the top six for the playoff? And what do you think the biggest issues are going forward with that group? Yeah, I think the top six for the playoff. I mean, I actually think the playoffs is going to work out, out pretty well. I think a lot of people are, are worried every year at this time. But I think the good thing is a lot of the top teams that are in the top six have either already played or are going to play each other. So I really – I'm not too worried yet. I, you know, a week out we can start talking about all these different scenarios, but I think it'll work out. I'm kind of rooting for the uh, the two SEC Notre Dame and whatever Clemson or Oklahoma, just because I feel like if uh, three of the uh, five conferences get left out, that maybe we can have an 18 playoff, and that just sounds more fun. Yeah, I saw a couple of messages where the uh, Big 12, and I want to say someone else have been petitioning the playoff committee to push to eight. And I think, like you said, that makes a lot more sense. Is there a team that you see as a dark horse that's maybe a one or two loss team that's outside of the top six at present that might sneak in? Um, I mean, I think the cheap answer is, is Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. I think there's no way they would leave out an undefeated power conference team. And, Wisconsin, you know, they do have a Michigan game left, which doesn't seem quite as hard as we thought it would be. And then they probably would be playing Ohio State in the title game. And, you know, Ohio State's certainly beatable. So, um, you know, they they certainly have a, a direct path there. If you're really looking for a true dark horse, um, I guess you could say Auburn. And I only say that because Auburn could beat Georgia this weekend, beat Alabama, at the end of the season and beat Georgia a second time um, in the SEC championship, and they'd be a two-loss team to be pretty tough to keep out with that resume. Do you think – I mean, one of the things I think has been readily established is if you win the SEC championship, that's basically getting you a position into the playoffs. So, so is that is that a even with the two-loss Auburn a bridge too far, or do you think that would be well-deserved? Well, I think it would be well-deserved in that they will have had to have beat Georgia and Alabama to get to that point. So, you know, it's not my favorite that potentially a two-loss team could get in, but, you know, I give Auburn credit. They played a heck of a schedule. They played Clemson really, really tough um, early on, and so I, I, I would have no problem with that. But, again, it's – you know, it's all hypotheticals. Not to, to, to cheat on an answer, but, I, you know, I want to see what everyone else does too. Yeah, speaking to everyone else, uh, Oklahoma State, what are your thoughts on their prospects going forward? I I think that it's going to be tough for them in that they've lost, obviously, to Oklahoma. 
Um, and then losing to uh, TCU, I think it's just tough because you know to, to have to jump teams ahead of you that that you've lost to. Um, I don't think it it's it gives them a whole lot of shot. Um, you know they could still win the Big Twelve certainly because they could get into the Big Twelve title game. So that part wouldn't be crazy. But I think t- as far as a playoff, I think that'd be tough to to do at this point in time for them. And what about Scott Frost and his uh, team down south? How do you think they stand a chance if they go undefeated? Yeah, as a as a, I'm watching Scott Frost very closely. If that's because <laughs> I'm a I'm a Florida grad. Um, I mean, they're not getting in the playoff. There's no chance of that. There's there's no scenario. Um, you, you know, I don't care if everyone has two losses. They're Ohio State and Penn State and two loss teams like that would go ahead of UCF, but certainly they're exciting. Guy gets a lot of credit. They were zero and twelve two years ago. He had them seven and six last year, and you know, obviously they have the big game against uh, USF and probably a rematch against Memphis in the. Uh, title game but what they're doing on offense and what he did real quick i mean it's it's easy to see why that guy's a rising star now obviously with you having an eye toward them perhaps uh the gators perhaps poaching mr frost is he the only person you you would be looking at as a gators fan or are there any other coaches out there that might i mean as as a fan you know it's it's easy for me to look past some stuff i mean i think you still have to look at chip kelly um, he has had some NCAA issues, but you know, as a fan, I don't care about those as much. I just want to win. Um, obviously Scott Frost is real high on the list. Um, you know, I think they're also looking at Willie Taggart who left USF who's at Oregon. Now he's born and raised in Florida. Um, you know, you hear that name, you hear a little bit of Mike Norvell at Memphis, and kind of the last name, the the basement guy, I think, would be Dan Mullen. I don't think they'd go lower than that. But, yeah, I think it's between Frost and Taggart, if I had to bet. Right now with Frost in the lead. Gotcha. And this one's <laughs> kind of a little bit out of your Florida wheelhouse. But looking at I – was, I was listening earlier to – oh, gosh. I, oh, I was listening to one of the NFL uh, Network's <laughs> podcasts. And they were – they the hosts were joking about the fact that if you're Kevin Sumlin – you're hoping that someone falls from for uh, the the uh, Arizona State Okie Duke <clears throat> and kind of gets their coach out of the paint so you can go there because that might be his next stop, assuming or presuming that Texas A&M lets him go. Yeah, I think they're going to let him go. Um, I think he's a pretty good coach. I think he's a really good recruiter. I think he's been winning moderately – with administration that hasn't really backed him for the last few years. So um, I I think there's a lot of programs that he could be a decent fit at. Now, do you think a person like, say, like I'm looking around and I'm, you know, we're going to talk about some, maybe a little bit of the draft and a little bit of the the prospects Mm -hmm. for the bills in a minute, but I'm looking at a lot of these coaches. Do you see anyone making a jump to the NFL next year? Wow. That's it's just such a different game nowadays, you know, and, you know, it's, it's just so tough to project that kind of stuff. Um, you know, a lot of the guys who you really could have seen seem to be kind of aging out, you know, guys like Saban and Kirk Ferentz. Um, you know, the name you always hear is David Shaw at Stanford. Would he ever make that jump? Um, 
you know, but again, it's just, it's just such a different game. It almost seems like once guys are kind of in that they, they kind of pick a path, you know, I I just don't see, there's not going to be Pete Carroll's growing on trees. Um, I guess if you really want to look long-term, you start looking at some of those younger guys, um, you know, maybe a guy like Lincoln Riley, but again, he just seems like a college coach so much more than, than a pro coach to me. Now, to that end, one of the things I've been thinking about in this last few weeks is uh, we had a lot of guys like Albert Breer waxing philosophic uh, when they were talking about Colin Kaepernick a few months ago and saying the spread is dead, all this gimmick stuff from college isn't working. Lo and behold, some of the best teams in the NFL, the Chiefs and the yeah. Eagles, are using spread. They're yeah. using RPOs. They're using uh, the concepts to the point where, you know, when we did the research on uh, bringing in, I was going to say troops, but uh, bringing in McDermott and looking at the Eagles roster, how, and this is like two parts. So on one hand, you have Reed brought in uh, the former head coach in Nevada, all, and then after right. he left, he made Chili, uh, Brad Childress, his spread game analyst, and then now he's his co-offensive coordinator. So he's ingrained the spread offense into his West Coast offense over a factor of three and a half to five years. Whereas Peterson just went in and said, hey, let's just do what this guy does best and we're going to make everything else work around him. Right. Do you see that being the future? Because I know you said it's a jump between college and but I but I, it looks to me like there really is an opportunity now, especially with the influx of the quarterbacks, to meld it a bit. Yes, I, I think that's a fair question. And I, I do think the spread's the way of the future because I would also argue the Patriots have been running the spread for five years also. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, especially since they talk I, I, with uh, uh, Chip Kelly so much. Him and Belichick are buddies. Yeah. I think the difference is I still think in the NFL you really want to minimize the amount of times your quarterback is running the ball and taking those hits. So, I, I you know, I think it's a spread, but it's not a spread where – you know, the quarterback's keeping it a whole lot. You know, you just don't want your guy taking that many hits. But, you know, to your point, yeah, I think the spread creates matchup problems, which, number one, you're looking for. Um, and, and number two, to your other point, when, when that's what every college is running, that's who you're getting, yeah, I think it makes sense to design your offense around that. But, I, I mean, I think the spread's been in the NFL for, for several years. So, I, again, I don't, I don't think what guys are doing is, is really that new. Um, maybe the quarterbacks are a little bit more mobile. You know, obviously a spread with Tom Brady is very different than the spread with Carson Wentz, but the principles are still really the same is to create mismatches. So, I mean, I, I definitely think this, the spread is what you're going to see for, you know, the foreseeable future. Excellent. And speaking of the future, I wanted to take a few minutes to talk about, well, one, our weight race to QB mountain feature on Buffalo yeah. wins, but, also, now at this point, it might even be just race to player X. Yeah. Uh, for, for me, originally, when I wanted to do QB Mountain, I wasn't even thinking about the Bills. I just wanted – I like looking at college quarterbacks. I, I The diversity right. in college is so much more fun than the NFL. He said right before the NFL exploded into this weird amalgam of spread and NFL concepts. But are there any quarterbacks currently? Because I know early, you know, you and I had talks about Baker Mayfield and Rudolph – uh, and obviously yeah. the, the big two of uh, the Pac-12s, uh, yeah. Josh Rosen and Mr. Uh, Darno. 
but is there anyone that's stepped up uh, or maybe someone that's kind of come into the foreground that you weren't thinking about before we talked? Yeah, and I, I would start that off to say I'm still all in on Rosen, and I started the year. I actually like him more than Darno, and I've seen nothing that would change my mind. I, I think Rosen will come in and start from day one and be really, really productive. Um, honestly, the guy that's made the biggest jump for me is, is really Baker Mayfield. I, I thought he was – kind of like a Chase Daniels, maybe a career backup guy who could start in a pinch, you know, third rounder. And, man, he's I, – I, I legit think in, with a creative coach in the right system, he could be a first rounder now. He, there's a lot of Drew Brees in him. He doesn't have quite the arm strength, but he's a little bit smaller, but he just moves around in the pocket so well. And, I mean, he just seems to make plays, make throws. Um, you know, he's going to win the Heisman, I think, and – but I went from not thinking that he was necessarily an NFL quarterback to I, I legit think he could start in the NFL. It's funny you mentioned that because I was listening to that podcast earlier, and they also made the comparison to Breeze. And I was thinking when that happened, and now that you've kind of confirmed it for me a little bit, how crazy would it be for the Saints to pick him up next year and groom him behind Breeze, if not have him replace him outright, depending on the control? Yeah, I think I think there's a lot of interesting scenarios out there because I, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of quarterbacks taken. I mean, I, it wouldn't shock me if six guys went in the first round, um, which is a pretty big number. But to your point, I think those two L.A. guys, assuming they both go in the draft, are going to be real early. And then I think you could see a lot of those guys a little bit later. I know quarterbacks do always get picked a little earlier than we think, but yeah, I think there's a lot of opportunity for teams like New Orleans or New England to kind of maybe grab a guy who they normally wouldn't be able to get and have them sit for a year or two behind Breeze or Brady and, and take over. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of potential for that. Now, thinking about that, um, one of the things I was going to ask you about is you, you kind of jumped on it, the replacement plans. Which teams do you think should be looking at a potential either replacement or someone to be groomed? Uh, I mean, half the league, right? Um, I mean, obviously there's some obvious ones like the New York Giants. I mean, I don't even know if Eli's going to make it through this year. But some teams that are actually contending, I mean, obviously you have to say New England after the Garoppolo trade. Um, I think, you you know, you have to throw Breeze in there because of the age. Um, I think you have to look at San Diego. Um Maybe not even as a backup plan, but who knows exactly what's going to happen in Denver with with their rotating quarterbacks they seem to have. Um, you know, I I don't know. I'm I'm one of those draft a quarterback every year guys anyway. Mm-hmm. But you know this this current group of guys we've kind of grown with in the last decade are definitely kind of phasing out. I mean, Big Ben, that whole you know that whole class there. I mean, those guys can't have long left. So. Um, a lot of those teams really should. Um, you know, I look at what Kansas City did. I, I don't think they envisioned Smith probably playing as well as he did, but, you know, I think that's more the you're going to see that kind of model again. Can we get a guy, sit him for a year or two, um, and then and then have him go? Which also means I think there's some potential for teams, Buffalo being one, that, you know, you could maybe grab a veteran quarterback for a year or two if there's not a guy you like when you pick and, you know, maybe you plug in a Phillip Rivers for a year and see what happens. Now, given that, um, like I said, with Buffalo, it's kind of tough to see them going after, like the only quarterback I could see them given how well they've been playing 
going after is maybe a Mayfield or a Lamar Jackson in the mid to late first round. And since they have two picks, that yeah. wouldn't be I as agree with that. I think it's going to be tough to move. I think 15 is kind of about where you're looking, Buffalo being able to get to, based you know, based on how things are right now. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. Like you mentioned, you have so much of a – one of the most fun things, because I don't have the stress tied to it now, is looking at the games being played in the top fifth of the draft. So you have like seven teams there that are all going to be interested in either acquiring a quarterback or holding up someone for ransom – the spot they have to get a quarterback because right. now you have San Francisco. They have their quarterback presumably of the future so they can trade. You have yeah. a team that's on the hard luck like the Colts and that's, Oh man. I mean, we could devote an entire podcast yeah, that's, to the insanity. That's, a, that's an interesting situation altogether. <laughs> would they trade luck or would they trade the pick? I, I don't know to be honest with you, but yeah, great. That's a great point. I mean, I, to be honest, Mike, that would be the million dollars. Like, I am a big Tyrod Taylor supporter. He's my guy. But if you told me you could trade for Andrew Luck for a first-round pick, I I would have to do that. Yes. Yeah. I would do. Although, I, you know, I think you and I and most of the guys on our side are kind of, if we weren't at the beginning of the year, a lot of us are very much on Team Tyrod now. So, um you know, I I don't look at quarterback as actually being the biggest need on the Bills. I mean, again, I, I still say you draft a quarterback every year, but unless one of those guys happens to fall a little bit, you know, I wouldn't trade off five years of first-round picks for one of those guys if I'm the Bills based on how Tyrod's looked. Yeah. And speaking of him, and kind of we'll close up shop here, since we've kind of moved away from the idea of perhaps going all in on trading everything for a quarterback, with two first-round picks, two second-round picks, a third, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, let's just concentrate on the two firsts and the two seconds. Yeah. What would be a good haul for the Bills with those four picks? Yeah, I mean, obviously it's tough to tell. I, I would say I think this is going to be a really deep wide receiver draft. Mm-hmm. I think Buffalo needs a speed guy. I um, I think we, we've seen with the Benjamin trade, he's going to be there next year. Obviously, Zay Jones is. Um, I don't think Matthews will be, especially since they'll be paying Benjamin, you know, eight and a half million next year. But Benjamin and Zay Jones are not going to beat you deep, and they need a guy that can take the top off the of defense. Um, I think there's a variety of guys who can do that. So I, I think they're gonna, definitely going to be a wide receiver there somewhere. Um, after last week, I think it's pretty obvious there's going to be an O lineman in there somewhere. Um, we, we, we seem to really be struggling, especially one of the guard positions. Um, you know, I, I think you could start looking at a second tight end partially because clay doesn't seem to be able to stay healthy. And even if so, I think, you know, just two tight end formations, I think are the hardest things in the world to defend. If you have athletic tight ends, um, I think on defense, you know, I, I still think you're looking at D line. I think in uh McDermott's world, he wants to play lot of guys rotating um you know there's probably still a linebacker to be had as well but you know the good thing is those positions always are really really deep um you know quarterbacks tend to go really quick so those will be gone and and corners um you know i don't think corners are even though i know he took a guy in the first round last year i don't think that's something that mcdermott would routinely want to be taken super high i think he feels he can get good value um, a little bit later with that. So, 
Um, but I think McDermott wants to control the line of scrimmage. So we need that, and we need we need to give some offensive weapons. I mean, that's what makes what Tyrod's doing this year even more impressive. Would you be opposed to a running back in round one? Yeah, I think, you know, you mentioned about having a whole podcast on luck. I mean, you could have a whole podcast on what you do with Shady this offseason, to be completely honest, too. Mm-hmm. Um, in general, I, I don't love taking running backs in the first round. The exception, I would say, is almost it's almost like we're talking quarterbacks. If there's a top 10 guy out there, those guys do tend to work out pretty well, you know, those four-net-type running backs. I think it's pretty obvious Saquon Barkley's going to be that guy um in this draft but if you're talking you know picking in the 20s or something like that i just don't see a big difference a lot of times between the running backs being picked in the 20s and the running backs being picked in the 40s and 50s again running back also tends to be a really deep position you can get quality guys at i do think they'll draft someone at some point without a doubt i just don't know that i'm using one of my earlier picks on that because i just think running back is again it's just such a deep position and you can just get guys in my opinion again outside of those Barkley type generational talents but I don't think either of us think he's going to be there anytime uh, near when the build yeah and it's to your point I think it's going to be in those first four picks I'm going to if I were a betting man I'd say at least one defensive lineman because they show the propensity when you look at how he was allowed to build the Panthers defense Mm -hmm. they went back to back with with linemen and Kwan Short is reaping the benefits of that now, uh, right? I mean, I am in love with uh, the Michigan defensive tackle, whose name escapes me at present. I just think he's he's just a. Let me see if I can look him up on my sheet real quick while we're talking. I I just think he's a penetrator. He's not a. He's not going to be a big old nose tackle like Marcel was, but he's a guy where if you look at him. He gets up the field. He Maurice Hurst. He, I, I'm watching him fight second, you know, double teams and fighting through traps. And having Harbaugh as a head coach is one of those things that's always going to be a check mark for me. Either him or now at Stanford. I, I'm a big fan of uh, Harrison Phillips there as well. I just feel like when you have a coach that has an ethos and it isn't just see ball get ball, it makes you a better player. Because personally. I think we've seen with Alabama by the, a lot of the players when they get to the NFL, if they're not maxed out, they're almost there. And right. the growth you're going to see is how they adapt to everyone else being as talented as they are. Yeah, I think that's very fair. I think it's very fair. I mean, you know, and obviously there's a lot to see with free agency too. Um, all of the draft picks are obviously dependent on us not signing guys and things like that. Um you know, I've been pretty impressed with the guys they've taken off the street this year and turned into serviceable NFL players. So um, I, I agree with you, though. I think he has a system, and he's looking for a certain type of player, and he's going he's gonna to draft guys that fit his system. And But, you know, I, I do think it's pretty obvious, though, that we're, we are doing this a little bit with smoke and mirrors this year. And, and I think in his perfect world, if we can control the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball, he almost doesn't care what else happened so I, I i agree there's probably at least two if not three between o and d line taken in those first three rounds excellent well before we get out of here why don't you let the fine folks know how they can follow you on social media and 
what you have planned down the pipe for anything related to college football or anything you want them to read about. Yeah, uh, again, at Mac Tenzi, M-A-C-K-1-0-Z-I-E on Twitter. Um, and we'll definitely have some more college football stuff soon. Uh, depending on how this weekend shakes out, we may have another uh, playoff ranking preview. There's a lot of great games between highly ranked teams this year, or excuse me, this week. And if there's some upsets and it looks like there could be a whole lot of movement, we'll, we'll address that. If for some reason we get chalk, then, you know, maybe we'll, we'll wait a week or two on that. But once we kind of see how things start to shake out, you know, the weird thing about college football is when you have all these games between ranked teams, that's when a lot of times you don't see these, these surprises. It's when you have a week like last week where you're like, well, none of these games look good and half the top ten loses, um, that things start to get interesting. But if, if we get some scenarios that we start to wonder what's going to happen with the playoff, I think we'll be sure to, to address that. Excellent. Well, thanks, Mike, for being on tonight, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Sounds good, man. Have a good evening. All righty. Good stuff. All right, so 